Presbyopia Unlocked is an editorially independent podcast supported with advertising by Allergan. How do you explain presbyopia to your patients? And what treatment do you recommend? Proper presbyopia treatment can enhance ocular health and patients' understanding of the condition can keep them engaged with your clinic. On today's Presbyopia Unlocked, Dr. Laura Perryman hosts a panel of expert ophthalmologists who discuss how they use meaningful dialogue to educate patients and share how they select the best treatment for patients. Coming up on this episode of Presbyopia Unlocked. Hey everybody, glad you're here. This is Presbyopia Unlocked. I'm Laura Perryman. I'm the founder and director of Dry Eye Services and Clinical Research at the Perryman Eye Institute in Seattle, Washington. And I am so excited to be here today with these awesome doctors. I have Dr. Cecilia Ketting. She's at Virginia Eye Consultants in Virginia Beach. And Justin, Dr. Justin Schweitzer, Advanced Thompson Vision in Sioux Falls, Idaho. And finally, Dr. Mitch Jackson. He's the founder of Jackson Eye in Chicago, Illinois. Welcome, everybody. Hey. Hey there. How you doing? Hey there. Really good. You know, presbyopia, I, I call it the dirty P word because you say presbyopia to patients and they look at you like, huddle whatable? What? What is that word? How do each of you describe, define presbyopia to your patient? Do, have you come up with any fun ways to shortcut the chair time and describing it? T- tell me what you do. I, I, you know, it's hard to walk into a room and tell somebody it's due to their age or if they're getting older, you get offended. <laughs> so I've come up with a way that I kind of joke about it. I always tell them, I, you know, I hate that AGE syndrome. I'm experiencing the same <laughs> syndrome and they laugh and they kind of get it. Now that's what I'm talking about. So I always joke and say, it's just the AGE syndrome and we all have it. And and that's part of the problem leading to presbyopia. And I explained that to him. So I use the AGE syndrome. Nice. Yeah, I kind of, same idea. I'm, you know, it's hard not to tell them it's it's age related because we know it is. But, you know, I say it's a gift of life. It's one of those things that happens around age 45, um, some of us a little bit later. And it's just that time when we start to struggle with our up-close vision, and it's a physiological change. It's nothing you did, nothing we can necessarily prevent, um, and it's just one of those things we get to deal with with life. Nice. How about you, Dr. Schweitzer? Yeah, I definitely avoid using the word aging or uh, getting wiser or things like that. I try to really just make it uh, a common thing for them to understand that this happens to, to all of us at some point in time, and that it's something that's negatively impacting a lot of things they want to do. And, and we just start talking about those examples and, and it seems to resonate well when we talk about some of the things that I'm frustrated with and, and that they get frustrated with. And, and, you know, and then I just, I also remind them that boy, there's a lot of other people. I probably see 20 to 30 of them a day in my practice that are struggling with these things too. And it brings comfort in regards to that, but, but avoiding that aging terminology, I think is, is so crucial. Right. Oh, I love all those ideas. I like to joke that uh, it's one of Mother Nature's birthday gifts, and she can be a little harsh with her gifts. So, they, without saying the A G E word, well, that I think those are all really great tips. Um, you know, presbyopia is so common. We see it all day, every day. And for those of us, I think half of us on this panel struggle with it 
with presbyopia, the other half don't. Just you wait. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> then you'll understand. <laughs> but two thirds of our presbyopia patients are seeking help, but half of them don't get the information they need. So how do you like explain what it is? And how do you, yeah, let's just start there. How do you explain what presbyopia is? Mitch, you want to start? Sure. I mean, I always relate it to real life. So it's kind of funny because most people will just suddenly wake up one day and they experience presbyopia. They can't see their Apple Watch or smartphone. They can't see their food and they think something's really wrong. And most people will go, okay, I'll just go get some over-the-counter cheaters and realize it was just that. But if they come into our office, then you have to kind of explain the whole process of what's happening. And I tell them it's really the leading cause of blindness worldwide. The good news in the United States, we have a lot of treatment options. And so that's kind of how I start to set up the whole process. Um, and we do it you know, a thorough eye exam, make sure it's nothing else. And we set them up um, because it happens overnight. And you have to, they'll just come in and they'll freak out. And if they haven't gone to get some glasses over the counter because their friend told them to try that, then it's our job to start the process. Nice. I, I, I echo with that. And Mitch, did you ever experience when you were on call as a resident, people calling you in a panic? It's like, I can't, I can't see him close all of a sudden. He's like, well, how old are you? Oh, I'm like 41. Oh, and you sound like you have a cold. Oh yeah. Well, what have you been doing for it? I've been using over the counter cold medicine. Well, that can like bring on presbyopia, like a ton of bricks as well. Did you ever have that happen to you as a resident? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And we still get it. We get calls every day. And- yeah. It is. It's weird. It happens like right away. And, and it's really when they can't read their smartphones or just basic life activities, they freak out. Yeah. Educate. What, what, what do you think, Dr. Kitty? Oh, yeah. I was going to say I, at, um, at our office, we are, you know, we're an emergency referral center. Um, so nobody comes to us saying, hey, this is my routine eye exam. I think I'm having some near changes. It's, oh my goodness, what happened? Why can't I see up close? And, you know, it's exactly the same as you were talking about having that discussion. And those are the people that come in. And we have to remember that there's so many of those people that don't come in to have that conversation uh, with us and don't really necessarily know what's going on and may or may not even go get those cheaters. Some, you know, talk to a friend and say, hey, let's, let's go go get some over the counter. This is what I had happen and what worked for me. Um, and those are the patients that, you know, really need to be coming in too, because they probably have had great distance vision their entire life and may or may not even had an eye exam since they were a kid. Um, and I think those are the important ones too, to think about that really need to be getting in our chairs, not just to, to have a discussion about presbyopia, but also about just in general eye health. Yeah, no, I, I agree. This is Justin. I think that it's amazing to me. I do, you know, a lot of refractive consults. I do, um, cataract workups, uh, I'm in a tertiary care center. And so most of the patients that I'm seeing are not, not comprehensive eye exams. They're coming in, uh, cause they were sent into us, but I classically will grab and and often grab our, our eye model. Uh, we have an eye model in each room and I'll, I'll get, I'll get down to the anatomical level in regards to it. And I think it's important. And it is amazing how many patients that have lived with it for 20 years that are getting ready to undergo cataract surgery really didn't realize what part of the eye that it affected and where it was coming from. And so I like to show them. So they have a visual of, you know, it's 
to do with the lens. And I know we can get into the nuts and bolts of that, but it has something to do with the lens. And then our refractive patients as well, getting into the actual anatomy of it and, and maybe diving a little deeper than I should at times. And then the most reassuring thing, and I know we're going to talk about this as well, Laura, is just reminding them that, hey, by the way, there's a lot of different treatment options. This isn't something where it's just glasses or just contacts. There's surgical options. There's going to be eventual drop options. There's a lot of things we can consider for that. And that's reassuring as well. So getting down to the anatomical level with them, and then also giving them the reassurance that there's a lot of tools in the toolbox to manage this particular condition. Oh, I love that. And so that patient that's you know been an emetrope their whole life, hasn't needed eye anything, comes in. Thank goodness they're finally coming in so we can do a complete eye exam, make sure everything else is okay. But you've identified the problem, shown them that we can restore their vision with, you know, traditionally just spectacles. Um, and that gives them some reassurance. But now we're going to start to have new things to offer them, that newly diagnosed presbyo. Um Excited to hear your perceptions of the innovations that are short, coming our way very shortly. Dr. Jackson? Yeah, so you mentioned, there's one thing we didn't mention. So you said less than half the patients get the information. <clears throat> A lot of those patients don't even come into our offices. And so I think it's important with what, you're, what you just brought up with the innovations coming. There are presbyopia drops that are coming out soon, going to be FDA approved. And I think just like dry eye disease, before some of the big dry eye products got approved, some of the companies launched a, an awareness campaign direct to consumer about dry eye disease, which I think was really helpful to drive patients who didn't know about dry eye to come into our clinics. I think it's going to be just as important with presbyopia for those people who just go get over-the-counter spectacles. And if they are made aware of the disease, I think it's going to drive patients to us more frequently than we than we got. And so then we'll be able to offer these options such as presbyopia drops or and or presbyopia IOLs if they need surgery and future laser scleral treatments. So I think the, the branding awareness of the disease will drive more to all these new innovations. Absolutely. I completely agree on that. Yeah. I think, you know, with all this education around this and more discussion around it, it's going to allow clinicians to think about a more individualized treatment option per patient, right? Right now we talk about, hey, refractive surgery with those early presbyopes doing some offsetting or, or, or monovision. We have contact lenses we can do that with. You have multifocal contact lenses. You have, you know, spectacle lenses, obviously that was already mentioned, but now you're going to have drops to consider for that early presbyope or even that that later stage presbyope that just wants some independence. And so I think it's going to allow us to modify or individualize treatment options. Obviously, IOLs are out there that can help us manage this as well. And so it's going to just be a lot more fun, in my opinion, to have these discussions because, again, going back to all those different tools that we're going to have in the toolbox to individualize treatment for this condition that's been around for so long. No, absolutely. And I think also combining treatments mm -hmm. too. So say, you know, 
somebody wants to have the freedom from spectacles and can use the presbyopia drop versus, you know, sometimes where they may want to wear their glasses. It, you know, it, there's no one fits all. It's it's a combination and we'll really be able to exactly what Justin was saying, you know, come up with a good individualized plan for these patients. And I think also bringing the awareness and a much better understanding to our patients because we'll be spending time talking about this, they'll have a better idea and understanding when it comes time for cataract surgery and, you know, having, you know, different options, whether it be um, a premium IOL that does correction for multifocal um, viewpoints or, you know, even a monofocal vision with using continued use of presbyopia drops. It just really opens up so many more avenues and doors for our patients. I love that approach. And I love the idea of being able to customize the different treatment options and mix and match them to match somebody's quality of life and lifestyle. So, you know, glasses all day at work, presbyopia drops before date night. Like that's sort of an ideal combination while you're waiting for the lenses to mother nature birthday gift to the point where you need to talk about (laughs) a presbyopia correcting intraocular lens. So I love, I love that focus on the patient's lifestyle, quality of life, treatment options. Um, there, do you ever ask patients about their concerns or do they ever bring it up to you, their concerns about the cosmesis of reading glasses and how it's just the scarlet letter of the AGE word? Do, do you have patients bring that up to you in the lane and how do you have that discussion? Yeah, all the time. Um, and, and I think maybe it's because of you know, the practice, I'm not necessarily doing glasses and contacts, but they, you know, the next question is often, well, what about LASIK? Am I too old for LASIK or, or, you know, treatment, uh, surgery? And, you know, as of right now, we can discuss, you know, early um, refractive lens exchange and some other options. Um, But yeah, I have plenty of patients who would really like to be free of glasses. And it is something with the newer, um, range of premium IOLs, we are able to have that conversation. We try to work it in to decide what's going to be a good idea for them there. Uh, so it's it's a conversation that's already happening that I think will probably just continue to happen more. Hey, Laura, on the extension of what you said, Dr. Kenning, about customizing a lifestyle option, when most people suddenly become presbyopic and then they come to us, you have, they're not, they don't, most of them, are not expecting a surgical approach um, unless they really have a cataract or something. But most 99% of the time they want something other than surgery immediately. So I think the presbyopia drops is an easy way to kind of say, Hey, we have something you can try it. You know, very few side effect risk profile. If you don't like them, you can stop them. So I think we're going to have something immediately for these patients uh, to, to deal with the cosmesis part that you mentioned, Laura. And then go from there. And then if they don't like the presbyopia drops after a while and they want something, maybe they'll adapt and say, hey, now I'm ready for some surgical options. So I think that's what's going to end up happening. Maybe it softens the blow a bit, right? You've got that abrupt onset, you know, early, mid 40s, late 40s presbyope. You've got the person a little bit older, pre-cataract demographic who just just wants to be able to go to the grocery store, see the dashboard on their car, um, you know, fix a meal at home, not necessarily prolonged near vision, 
and would like some spectacle independence, happy to put on a pair of glasses for sitting down to read a book or scrolling through Instagram. It's a bad idea to Instagram shop late at night, by the way. Ask me how I learned. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that requires my reading glasses. So <laughs> word of caution there. Um, but anyway, the uh, that I think it just softens the blow and softens the shoulders a bit and provides a bit more graceful transition, perhaps. What do you think? Yeah, you know, I hear I hear your guys' examples and 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 they're so great. And and Laura, to your point, talking about seeing the dashboard and, and uh, Instagram and at night. Is that what you say? Is that the terminology? I don't do a lot of Instagram <laughs> Instagram night, so. shopping late at night. Okay, got it, yeah, got it. Especially with a glass of wine on board, I don't recommend it. <laughs> so when I hear all these things, I, I it, it, the term that comes to mind to me is, is flexibility. Flexibility for our patients. They want flexibility. Because I have patients that are fine wearing reading glasses. They like the look at them. They, they like the look of them. Um, they like to go in and shop for for stylish types of glasses. And I don't have an optical in my practice either, but I have patients that come in and say, I don't mind wearing these at home. They work fine. But boy, if I'm going to go out to dinner, I would love not have to take something with me so that I can see the menu. And so the term that comes to mind when I think of all these options we're talking about is flexibility. And can we provide our patients with more flexibility down the road? Yeah, I agree. That's a great point, Justin. <clears throat> we have. It's nice to be able to have a multitude of options for these patients now. I think once the disease awareness gets out there, we're gonna have a huge influx of patients and we need to be ready to have all these options. So the presbyopia drops just adds another great option to our armamentarium moving forward. Fantastic. So, you know, of all these treatment options that we've traditionally had leading up to surgery, um, reading glasses are very interesting. Here's, here's what I've discovered. The optical quality and optical performance is not created equal. Like, yeah, it's one thing to say, just go grab a pair of readers from the drugstore, but it's hard to see through them. They're not that great. Um, the optical centers can be weird. You can get a little bit of swim from them, and they certainly get dirty and scratch. Um, so there's the optical performance issues. So I think for that reason, and, you know, you do prescription readers, of course, but I'm really excited about potentially the improvements in visual performance with the presbyopia drops. What do you guys think? Yeah, no, I agree. When I talk with patients about over-the-counter readers, especially like my post-surgical or just in general and emerging presbyope, um, I jokingly say, you know, hey, you're more than welcome to get something over-the-counter. Honestly, it's one size fits no one. Um, it may or may not work for you and it might work in some situations, but you're in general going to do better with a glasses prescription. Um, and that being said, you know, what are we going to see with the, the ability to not have glasses at all? And what's the quality going to be as far as for the vision? And it'll be really interesting to see, um, you know, some of the preliminary reports and the early studies are showing um, some good range of vision for these patients. Um, but as we know, it'll, it, you know, studies are one thing and then we get to try it and see how it works for the different patients, different age groups. Are they an early presbyope? Is it going to work just as well in our patients who are um, closer to having cataract surgery and further along in the presbyopia journey and really just getting a good idea and a good feel for who this is going to work well for. So I'm, I'm honestly excited to even just try to start to figure that out. Exactly. And I'm, I'm thinking of patients that have uh you know, like complicated prescriptions. Maybe they've got 
a high amount of sill. They're a high myope. They maybe they have a little bit of prism, and then you throw a, a progressive lens on top of that. Oh my goodness! Like that's going to compromise mm-hmm. their visual performance further. But if you could potentially eliminate that extra optical uh, cacophony <laughs> with a with, with a drop, I think I think patients would appreciate it. One thing I tell patients in like if we do a premium IOL. And they're seeing like J2 or J1 and they put a pair of cheaters on over and all of a sudden it gets a little better. I say, well, th- you know, those are just magnifiers. Doesn't mean the lens implant's not working. Magnifiers are always going to make things better. So part of setting expectations with presbyopia drops, you know, we're going to get a range of patients. Some are going to be ecstatic who want it to work. Some are going to never be happy or going to complain. No different than surgical options. So they can always put a pair of cheaters over the presbyopia drop as it's wearing off to magnify things at the end of the day. So I always, it's just about setting expectations so they know what to expect because the drops don't work 24 hours, seven days a week. They got to put them back in and, and depends on what size print they're looking at and what function, what activity they're doing. So it's, it's all going back to setting expectations like any other procedure or even glasses or contact lenses about wear time and and knowing how to look through a pair of progressive glasses that's a great point yeah you mean i can't uh it's not it's midnight on christmas eve and i'm putting together a a toy for my grandchild and what do you mean i can't read the instructions you know without glasses or or what do you mean i still have to wear my glasses well that's 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 um, some expectations that we might need to talk about, <laughs> right? That's, that's pushing it a little too far. Um, but yeah, that that lifestyle, general lifestyle, just softening the shoulders on the whole thing, I think is a huge value added for people. Yeah, I agree. So when you're in the lane and you're explaining all these concepts to your patient, do you have, and I'll ask each of you, do you have like what's your best like 15, 20 second spiel on how to address uh, presbyopia in your, your younger patients, your uh, pre-cataract patients and your premium IOL patients? Do you have like some quick and dirty uh, communication tricks that you like to use? Depending on their age, that's a, that's a big piece there, Laura. You mentioned that, you know, when you're younger, presbyopic patients think those patients pre-cataract um, what are their options I think if they're they're under the age of, of 50 um, you know could they have something like a refractive lens exchange and and have a, a IOL at that point in time that can correct it it's possible but those patients still have a lot of ability accommodative ability um, yet and so it always makes me a little nervous and a little hesitant to take away that ability that they still have and recommend something that is it going to be as good as what their natural lens is at those younger ages? And so then it gets into a discussion of, you know, is refractive surgery right for you? Is is continuing to wear a spectacle lens right for you? And I think it's so important to ask the patients what their goals are. Are they someone that wants to eliminate glasses for as much as possible? Because there's nothing out there right now that we can say 100%, you will never wear glasses again but we can reduce that dependence a bit. And that's where I think these presbyopic eye drops are going to be so important. These patients in the early stages, because we're going to have something that provides that flexibility. And I'm saying that again, because we're not going to eliminate glasses, 
but we're going to provide them flexibility for some of the activities that they want to do. And then patients that are above 50 years of age that have lost a lot of accommodate amplitude, I lean a little bit more towards talking to them about, hey, maybe we could consider doing some type of implant, maybe taking your lens out a little bit early because their lens is more or, or is more natural to what that IOL lens is. And still those presbyopic eye drops may fit into that situation as well. To Mitch's point where, you know, maybe they need a little extra near power at night or they need a little extra near power because they're not quite getting it with that trifocal IOL or that extended depth of focus IOL. So I think it just makes it so much more exciting, so many more things to talk about with these types of technologies coming to the market. Yeah, I think it's about, just like Justin said, when the patient comes in, um, you have to reassure them, explain the disease process to them, tell them what options there are, what options are coming in the near future, uh, such as the presbyopia dress we've been talking about, and even intermediate long-term range options for them. So they kind of know what's in store for them over the next 10 to 15 years, depending on how they're functioning with their specific activities of daily living, like Dr. Ketting said about customizing it for them. And so I think you just have to set the expectation early on and reassure them. And I think we have a lot more options now. I are about to have a lot more options and it's an exciting time. And I agree. I'm piggybacking off uh, two great, um, two great people here, but everything that they're saying, I mean, communication with the patient is key. Uh, making sure, as we've always said with any technology and especially new technology, um, under promise over deliver, um, just to set a really good ex- you know, expectation that they may still need readers, but we're trying to provide them the freedom the best that we can to live the life the way that they want to and have options as well as you know i agree very much so with with justin and i've had this experience with a few patients who have had uh, refractive lens exchange in their early 40s um, and even in their 30s because they were not necessarily a candidate for having um, other refractive surgeries and it, it they didn't quite understand when we told them they were going to lose their near vision what that meant. And this is going to provide an option, right? Yeah. So it this is having more drop, these drops um, is going to provide another option um, to mix and match and really customize for our patients. Well, I think, I think we're all pretty darn excited and looking forward to this uh, next, this next innovation in eye care, presbyopia drops and Looking forward to sharing with each of you, so Justin and Mitch, the uh, the post the phase four clinical experience and how we mix and match and things that uh, seem to work really well in certain situations and how, how to combine these different modalities, how to express these things to our patient efficiently. Uh, I think the future looks bright. I'm very excited. I'm, I'm really hoping I get access to it really soon because I need it. <laughs> So I, uh, this is wrapping up our Presbyopia Unlocked, and this I've been joined today by Cecilia Ketting at Virginia Eye Consultants in Virginia Beach, Justin Schweitzer at Vance Thompson Vision in Sioux Falls, Idaho, and Mitch Jackson, founder of Jackson Eye in Chicago, Illinois. It's been so fun to chat about this with all of you, and look forward to seeing you in the near future. 